your Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Welcome to the Friday edition of the Locked On Longhorns podcast. I am your host, Patrick Kahn. You can follow me on Twitter at Pat Sports Guy. Follow Cammy. Hey, Cammy and G. Cammy, it's Friday. Uh, lots to talk about, sort of. Big news yeah. going on yesterday. The Big Ten has canceled all non-conference games. Uh. No Iowa, Iowa State. No Maryland, West Virginia. Later, it was uh, reported that ACC and the Pac-12 would follow suit. Kind of sitting tight right now. It's SEC and Big 12. You know, I even wrote something thinking that it seemed like an imminent thing. And shortly thereafter, the Big 12 commissioner, Bob Bolsey, comes out and says, no, we're not making that decision right now. It's too early. Um, yeah. you know, so that was interesting. I do agree it's too early. We've always said that um, since it's just an ongoing and fluid situation. But – it is, I guess, trending in that direction. I know they're trying to limit travel and obviously shorten the season as much as they can while still allowing the players to actually, um, I guess, play the, the football season, especially those seniors that we mentioned, like Sam Ellinger and people who um, it would really Im- impact their draft stock and things like that. But, yeah, I think it's trending in that direction. But uh, like I mentioned, it's, it's just too early. We don't know if um, things are going to progress, if they're going to get worse or things like that. So um, it's just kind of up in the air right now for me. Yeah, and so the topic of the conference versus non-conference, you know, has been an ongoing thing that, you know, people have been talking about. Former Texas Tech quarterback B.J. Simmons tweeted out, apparently COVID knows the difference between non-conference and conference games, which is funny to me that he said that because kind of the thought process that we've kind of heard lately is that, like, the Big Ten would fill out their schedule with conference games because they have enough team to play a full round-robin you know, 12-game schedule. And so the question is, why would you do that if you're getting rid of your non-conference? Because, you know, the thought was maybe they're trying to limit the opportunity for, you know, teams to contract COVID, right? Mm -hmm. And then they turn around and and you start hearing rumors of playing, you know, a full round of, of games. And then it's like, okay, so it's not about, limiting the opportunity of contracting if you're going to play a full schedule. Um, And then obviously uh, maybe it's the travel thing, trying to keep things local, but you know, it kind of makes you wonder if they're trying to limit the travel, how are they going to do a game like traveling to West Virginia? Yeah, exactly. And I think that just made me um, start thinking about this even more, especially because we saw that, um, I guess, in regards to the NFL, that they're not able to swap jerseys after games. And so I think it's and I mean, that's after they've already played a game and all touched each other and things like that on the field. And so I'm like, I guess they're so back and forth. I think they need to either stick to their guns on um they're really going to take this very seriously and there's going to be absolutely like no travel out of state or something like that compared to just play the whole season. So I don't know. It's just like we mentioned, it's fluid and I'm glad we don't have to make any of those decisions like that, but um, it's unprecedented. So obviously no one really knows how to handle it, but I just feel like it's constantly back and forth. Yeah, it definitely is back and forth constantly. And you know, it's some of the things that they're saying doesn't make sense at all. Right. Oh, we're going to, like you said, the jersey swap after we've already played a game. It's almost like when the clock reaches zero on the fourth quarter clock, COVID is back. 
Right. At that point, you can't do, you know, so that doesn't make any sense. But, you know, I, I was told that that was an agreement made by not only the NFL, but the NFLPA, uh, you know, try to limit. I And I, I didn't get it. They just played a full game. And even NFL players were coming out like, what? What does that yeah. have to do with anything? Yeah, and they were like, they they made the same case that, oh, we actually had already played that game and we're through with everything, but yet we can't swap jerseys or say hello at the end of a game. That made no sense to me. Yeah, it's, that was a funny one. You know, when when you, when you hear something like that, it's like, you know, it's almost like you feel dumber after listening to that. It's like, wow, I, I feel so much dumber right now for having listened to you talk about how a jersey swap is now off limits which you know i think for some of maybe the more traditional fans or you know people who like to keep it a little bit old school mm-hmm. or prefer that because they don't want they want to see their teams go at battle and and hate each other like the way that they hate the fan bases right you know it would be very similar as if you know after texas ou finishes a game and, and sam ellinger and and spencer rattler swap jerseys after the game you know at it wouldn't step well with either fan base. They'd be like, what is, you know, so I, I get it. I get it. And maybe some fans will appreciate it. But, you know, when you look at these, we talk about these football players, most of them are buddies off the field anyway. So they want to do mm-hmm. the jersey swap, you know. Uh, they're probably still going to do the jersey swap. They just probably won't do it on the field. Right. Or just where it's, I guess, in the public eye. But, um yeah, I don't know. That was weird to me. And I guess it's it's going to be that way, I think, constant back and forth. And I think rules might change. Who knows? By the time the football season actually gets here, maybe that's not really even considered, um, I guess, a requirement or whatever. So if things progress, maybe they'll loosen up on these, I guess, new rules that they're implementing. But uh, I don't know. It's just too confusing right now. Yeah, and I think as far as the Big 12 is concerned right now, I think they're kind of waiting and, and doing a wait and see game kind of like with right. the SEC, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so as long as those two teams haven't come out and set a conference-only schedule, uh, Texas LSU is still on. Uh, that's, the main, that's the main thing game I'm worried about, and it's such a big matchup, and obviously I think both teams are going to be ranked heading into that game, or highly ranked at that, and um, it obviously was a very hyped-up game last season in Austin, and uh, the Longhorns are finally getting the travel over there in Death Valley, so I don't know. I think that's one of the biggest games on the schedule. I think even from a marketing standpoint and financial standpoint, I think um, that's probably one of the top games in in all of college football, actually, not just for the Longhorns. But that would be a very hard one to have to, I guess, cancel or take off the schedule. You know, I think that when you look at the non-conference schedules um, and and what was thought to be played, I I thought that that was probably the second best matchup of the non-conference schedule of all conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would probably say Ohio State Oregon was number one. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just because of you know the expectations of both of those teams. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Oregon won the, their conference last year, and, and uh, obviously Ohio State wins the Big Ten every year. You know, mm-hmm. so I thought that, that was number one. Texas LSU would be number two, and then I probably put Bama USC at Cowboy Stadium as number three. Yeah. And, and now with with Pac-12 saying they're not going to play non-conference. In the course of the Big Ten, two of those three games have been wiped out. So it makes you wonder, like, how they're going to do it. And, you know, it. And it's interesting. So, so let's just say the the SEC decides to go full conference only. They have enough teams to fill out their schedule. It's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. And it makes 
getting to the playoff even more difficult because sometimes when they're trying to gauge these teams, they they look at their non-conference and go, okay, well, they played this team. As yes, well. exactly. You know, it's, so it's going to have this impact that we're not really used to. It's going to be – so it makes you wonder, should they expand the college football playoff for one year? Oh, I would I would be down for that. Yeah. I mean, I well, think they should regardless, but I think especially right. in terms of these conditions, they should. Right. But typically when they if they were going to make a decision like that, they would they would have already announced something like that. But in light of everything that's going on uh, with the college football playoff and with the season with COVID-19, doing an expansion just just to get a few more teams involved mm-hmm. with this going on, you know, maybe you take all the the five at five uh, conference leaders and then three of the highest ranked of the remaining. And then you have an 18 playoff. Uh, You know, there's, there's some ideas that I thought maybe they should do. Maybe they should look at as a way, even if they go to a a full conference only schedule, um, you know, for, for Texas and the big 12, that's a nine game schedule. Right. Um, You know, are they going to play a 10th? You know, or or are they going to try and schedule more of those teams? So, you know, it was just an interesting thought. But coming up next, we're going to get into an interesting debate from one of our Twitter followers had a question about which team you would take. Cammie, this one's an interesting one. We're going to get into that next. All right, Cammie. So Xavier Forte has sent in a question on this fun Friday. Now you got to pick a team. I'm going to give you your quarterback. Wide receivers, running back, and tight end, and you got to pick a squad. Okay. So, Vince break it Young. down for me. Okay, okay. So, you got Finch Young with Jordan Shipley, Marquise Goodwin, and Quan Cosby. Oh, gosh. Okay. Your running back would be Deonta Foreman, and your tight end would be Jermichael Finley. Okay. So, that's team Vince Young. Mm-hmm. Team Sam Ellinger has Roy Williams, B.J. Johnson, and David Sloan. Mm-hmm. And your running back would be Jamar Charles and your tight ends, Bo Scaife. Okay. Or you can go with Team Colt McCoy. Colt comes with Colin Johnson, Devin DuVernay, and little Jordan Humphrey. Mm-hmm. Your running back is Cedric Benson, and you get David Thomas as your tight end. Okay, that one's so. somewhat easy for me. I'm taking Vince Young's team. I kind of, yeah, I kind of want a stronger, I guess, running back. I would love to have Cedric or Jamal there, but um, I don't know. They're they're very speedy, obviously. And Jordan Chipley was one of the most accomplished wide receivers in Texas history. He could kind of do it all. Obviously, we know how good Vince Young was. Um, Marquise Goodwins is probably the fastest of any of those players you just named. And uh, Quan had a great career, too. And Jeremiah Finley was one of the top tight ends in Texas history. So I think that was a fairly easy one for me. A close second would have probably been Colt McCoy, and then I would have taken Sam Ellinger's as the number three. I would have went with Sam Ellinger as my team. Really? That was my last one. Well, here's here's my reason why well, I'm, getting, Roy, yeah, that, I'm getting the number one wide receiver in Texas Longhorns history to go along with my number two rated quarterback in Texas history. Uh-huh. Uh, Roy and BJ were quite the duo when they played together. And then you throw in Sloan, and then you're telling me on top of that, I'm Bo Scaife is my tight end, and then I'm 
you're throwing in Jamal Charles, who is pretty much like a, another wide receiver. Yeah, just Sam Roy and Jamal Charles, in my opinion, is a pretty impressive trio. So um, that was a great question, though, because all three are fairly strong in different ways, I guess. But I think all around, I would still probably lean Vince Young. Okay, so I'm, we're going to take this now, Cammie. We're going to take this question just a little bit further. Mm-hmm. I want you to build your ultimate offense using those same players. Like if you had to build your offense, so give me a quarterback, three wide receivers, your running back, and your tight end. Oh, God. The ultimate cami offense. I can't even think of the quarterback out of the three that I would take. Oh, gosh. <sighs> okay, I guess mm, I guess in terms of an all-around aspect, I would probably take Colt McCoy, actually. Okay. And running back, um, I'm probably going to do like a Cedric Benson. Um, I'm doing like somewhat recent, at least, you know, past the two thousands. Um, what else? Jordan Shipley, for sure. He's always been one of my top uh, and he's obviously very versatile. Uh, Roy Williams. So Colt McCoy, Cedric Benson, Jordan Shipley, Roy Williams, Devin DuVernay. Um, hmm. I don't really know who I would put a tight end. No one's really, a. I mean, in terms of the 2000s, it's really been, like, really good at that position. So that would probably be my, in terms of skill skill players, that would probably be my top. All right, so if I'm going to pick a team, my quarterback is Colt McCoy. Mine too, good. So my wide receivers are going to be Shipley, mm-hmm. Juan Cosby, and Colin Johnson. Wow, no Roy? I, I, I would say Roy... But, you know, I guess it's a recency bias. Yeah, I know. Um, and, the, and the reason why I say that is because if and, – and not that Cole was like an inaccurate quarterback because Colt wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, Colin just has this way of making plays, whether it's a crazy catch on the sideline, keeping one foot inbounds or – Yeah, his catch radius in itself is just insane. insane. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I'm probably going to go with Jamal Charles at running back, and I'm going with David Thomas as my tight end. Ooh, I like that. You know, I, I think that would be my ultimate offense. You know, that was that was an interesting question from Xavier, who's constantly sending us stuff as far as what to talk about on the Lockdown Longhorns. He has, yeah, he's very uh, knowledgeable and, I guess, makes us think about these questions, which I like. Yeah, you know, and that was that was one of those funny ones where you were just kind of like, I don't know about this. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when he first did it, I was like, man, that's that's tough. I don't I don't know. You know, it's um, like as far as ranking those guys, who's the best? You know, it it's, it all depends. Like, I mean, I think we you could have the argument Vince Young versus you know Cole McCoy, who's the best quarterback. Um, yeah, it's like picking your favorite flavor of ice cream is what they say I guess in terms of those three quarterbacks because they're all very very good and um, pretty successful in their collegiate careers it's just they're kind of different players in their own right and so I guess it's just a preference type of thing it definitely is just a preference but coming up next we're going to get into a little bit of top 10 recruits in the Herman era and we're going to kind of talk about which our favorite one was
Recently, we put together a couple of lists on Longhorn's Wire talking about the top 10 recruits of the Tom Herman era. And, and more importantly, we broke this into offense versus defense. Mm-hmm. So, Cami, let's, let's dive into the top 10 offensive recruits. Obviously, this is done by their overall composite grade on 24-7 sports composite rankings. So kind of talk us through it. Like, who who was the top recruit and who's kind of mm-hmm. like your favorite recruit? Okay. Yeah, so in terms of the Tom Herman era, I guess, at Texas, we uh, just included his full three recruiting cycles, so 2018, 2019, and 2020, because um, as many of you know, Herman was hired at the end of 2016, so he kind of had some uh, highly rated, I guess, prospects that Charlie Strong had recruited kind of fall into his lap. So we're just taking a look at his three full recruiting classes, which, by the way, were very impressive uh, when I was going back through these, because um, the first two were the number three overall recruiting classes in the nation. And then in 2020, he still had a top 10 class in the nation at number nine overall. And um, obviously, each of those three years, it was the number one recruiting class in the Big 12. So I thought that was impressive in itself. And um, in terms of the top 10 recruits out of those three full recruiting cycles, I thought it was interesting that uh, there were quite a few wide receivers on here um, that will actually be competing for a starting role in 2020 so Avante Woodard which I think is he's he's kind of flying under the radar um, in a way when we talk about the wide receiver position but he came in at number 10 and uh, he has a great chance to increase his playing time this season and then um, Joshua Moore came in at number nine uh, the wide receiver who's kind of had some uh, troubles off the field but um, he's been able to practice even though he wasn't able to play last season so he's still been very involved in the program and I think he could actually win one of those starting spots on the outside um, Jaquindon Jackson, there's actually two incoming quarterbacks on here. Jaquindon Jackson was number eight, and then Hudson Card was actually number five. So that'll be uh, a great competition in terms of Sam Ellinger's successor. And then we had another wide receiver, Brennan Eagles, who we talk about quite often, who's expected to step up and is one of the most experienced wide receivers left. And some a name, I guess, that most people uh, – don't really know of I guess is Tyler Johnson who's expected to play guard this season he actually came in at number six so um, that was a great uh, recruiting land for an offensive lineman for Tom Herman and then um, I put Jake Smith at number four I think he's probably one of the top recruits or at least that has been able to prove I guess, produce in such a short time for Tom Herman. Um, He's obviously going to be very successful. And then Jordan Whittington came in at number three. Um, He actually was very very close to number two and B. John Robinson. But Jordan Whittington, B. John Robinson, and then number one was actually Brew McCoy, even though that didn't necessarily work out. But we put him on this list because he actually enrolled at Texas and played some spring ball. So um, he actually was number one. But in terms of who's still with us, it's B. John Robinson and Jordan Whittington at the top. And B. John's my favorite, obviously. That's the guy that I like the most, and I think that that's the guy that's going to make a pretty sizable impact in the upcoming season, hopefully, and and, and beyond. Uh, but as far as the top ten, yeah, B. John obviously is going to be number one. Can't be a composite five-star recruit and not be near the top. And had it not been for Brew McCoy, he would have been. 
Yeah. I think my favorite in this list is probably Jake Smith. I don't know why. It's just kind of a do-it-all. And I think Jordan Whittington can somewhat fill this role as well, like that Swiss Army knife type of player. He can kind of do a little bit of everything. And um, he's so quick with his feet, and they use him a lot as a true freshman, so I know they have confidence in him, and he has a lot of potential. So I think he's going to be, I guess, um, one of those players who has a very successful collegiate career and probably uh, produces the most in terms of everyone on this list. Probably. And then, and then we have the defensive side of the ball. Uh, which started with the number 10 recruit was uh, Vernon Broughton Jr., who comes in with a composite grade of 94.75. Uh, and then he had the cornerback, Deshaun Jamison, return specialist, actually was started out as a wide receiver. Tyler Owens, the safety, number eight. Uh, another name on here, number seven, Gabriel Floyd, much like Brew McCoy, never actually played a snap for Texas. However, he had to retire due to injuries before he was able to play for Texas. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Cook comes in number six, and as we know, he has exited the program. Gosh, so uh, many guys who uh, are no longer with the program, I guess. I think that was only two of them. Uh, well, Alfred, plus Brew, Brew McCoy, so that's three already. In three out of those about. top ten, yes, out of mm-hmm. the top 20, I guess you could say. Uh, Alfred Collins checked in at number five, composite five-star from the 2020 class. Uh, number four is DeMarvian Overshone. Okay. Jalen Green at third. B.J. Foster was second. And uh, number one is Caden Stearns with a 9886. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of guys in the secondary, one defensive end. Uh, probably my favorite on here, and, and mostly because of what his freshman tape looked like, was Caden Stearns. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, a lot of secondary players on here, one defensive end, one defensive tackle, uh, which is where they kind of expect Broughton to play. Um, and then, obviously, you know, the safety seems like – it's never seemed like an issue for safety. Um, mm-hmm. I think sometimes the cornerback can be a little bit lower as far as they're not getting – like currently they have two five-star safeties on the squad. Uh, no five-star recruits at cornerback. Maybe that'll change, but as of right now, it, it seems like safety's been kind of their their strong suit. And, and with Jay Valai out there on the recruiting trail, I think it's only a matter of time before he starts bringing in some of those five-star defensive backs. Oh, I agree. And he's already within his first year, I would say, of the recruiting department. He's been very successful so far, so hopefully um, that translates onto the field and um, we have some progress in the player development aspect of things. But, yeah, he's he looks very impressive as a recruiter so far, and you can tell the uh, players and um, even people who are just commits right now are uh, very, I guess, excited about Jay being there, and uh, hopefully he's just as good of a coach and um, teacher as he is a recruiter. Yeah, Damani Jackson, who's uh, ranked the number two cornerback in the country uh, out of California, uh, recently was talking about Jay. And, you know, he came out and said that, you know, they've had a, a few Zoom calls. And, and he said that Jay's been teaching him stuff about coverage and techniques. And, you know, he talked about his energy and, you know, how he's excited to get out to Texas and learn more about the program, what they're about. You know, he had mentioned, you know, they play big time football in Texas. So that was something that, he was very interested in, but I thought it was interesting that, you know, it's not only is, is 
Jay out there, you know, talking to these kids and obviously trying to get them to come play at the University of Texas. But mm-hmm. he's, he's he's using these opportunities to go ahead and teach them a little. Like, you know, this is what you should be doing on your techniques. This right. is how you should be playing that coverage. You know, so it's just, a, I think that's one aspect that can really help him as a recruiter because he's, it seems to me like he's taking those extra steps to truly, to really help these kids and show that, you know, he really does care about them doing well. And, and hopefully that helps him on the recruiting show with getting some of these kids to come to the University of Texas. Yeah, I agree. And to me, I guess he seems uh, very young at heart. And he, he, I guess he's fairly young for a uh, position coach in general. But um, I think players really gravitate towards that. And um, obviously, like the comfort level and things like that, um, in terms of not only the head coach, but the position coaches, the defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, things like that, play a major role in determining where um, a player wants to go or continue their collegiate career. So yeah, I think that was an impressive hire. I know everyone was kind of scratching their heads at first, and um, obviously two coaches from Rutgers came over here. But, um, yeah, it, it looks to be paying off so hard, so far, I guess, and hopefully um, it translates onto the field. Yeah, did you see his tweet today, though? He was no. talking about, uh He was talking about LeBron James in his first two seasons, and he said Luka Doncic is actually better than LeBron was in his first two years. Wow. So does that mean that Luca is going to become the next uh, king of the NBA? We'll I mean, see. he'll be up there. I, I don't think it's necessarily like the same type of player, but yeah, he's going to definitely be very successful. I, I think he's he's a triple double machine, um, you know. So it's 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 kind of cool to see, and it, it was just kind of funny that you know we're talking about Jay, and I saw the tweet this morning. I was like, wow, that's mm-hmm. interesting. That's interesting funny. take on it. Uh, but that's going to do it for this edition of the Lockdown Longhorns podcast. Make sure you tell your smart device play the latest episodes of the Lockdown NFL Draft. My guy, Trevor Sikama, Benjamin Solak, they do a fantastic job. Right now, they're working on their top wide receiver ranking, so you definitely got to check out that podcast. It's it's fantastic. Uh, but for Cammie, I'm Patrick, and as always, keep it locked on. Hook them. Okay.